In August 2015, Gary Newman and Dana Walden, co-chairs and CEOs at Fox, met with journalists to discuss the upcoming Prison Break reboot. When questioned about the reasoning behind rebooting this particular show, Walden remarked that people are still interested in these characters, and she was right. Prison Break remains one of the most successful library shows on Netflix. What is it about these properties that make them so ripe for being remade? A cynic might argue that it's the result of a tired system relying on fond nostalgia to gather as much cash as possible from a sinking ship. But what if it were something more? What if there was some intangible quality that couldn't be quantified? This show is about the search for that essence. This is still interested for Curio. And welcome back to Still Interested. It's a TV and film reboot and remake podcast for Curio. Let's get it started in here with the mega switch up. <laughs> I'm, as always, your uh, shaken and not stirred host, Ben McAllister. And I'm your magic potion seller, Jackson Newson. Yeah. Hey, they... Okay. Magic... I don't know how that tracks, uh, but I'm sure you'll explain it to me when we get there. Um, Dude, so we should acknowledge right off the bat that this is a little bit different. We're doing something a little bit special here today. This is, of course, episode 20 of Still Interested, our TV and film reboot and remake podcast for Curio. Yes, this is 100% true, yes. Uh, And uh, you're right, we're starting, I guess, uh, our first... I guess sub-podcast, a podcast within a podcast. Still interested, shaken, not stirred, part one, where we're dipping through all the fucking James Bond movies. And when I say all, we're not going to do every single one, and we're not going to do them all in sequence. Like, we're not going to do James Bond and then do a next James Bond in two weeks. We're going to, like, do these as, like, a sub-podcast peppered throughout, like, in between other franchises. And we're going to address a couple of the different iterations of James Bond, obviously one of the most iconic remade franchises of all time, and I think it's pretty clear why, as hopefully we'll get to. In terms of uh, setting up the audience, as well i think i should probably clarify where i'm at as a human being um oh yeah this is important today i've uncovered well i seem to have uncovered uh i'm coming down with the flu um and uh on the way back from from uh, uni today where i spent pretty much the entire day uh working on stuff i went to swing past my local pharmacy given that it's 200 meters from my house and at at 10 past seven uh it was closed already uh classic perth am i right uh well (laughs) 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 and then so i kind of like traipsed back to my house and was kind of aware that like well i'm not gonna uber somewhere uh and i don't have a car so i guess i'm not getting any cold and flu drugs this evening but upon speaking to my housemates they told me of this this unction i could uh i could make up and so what i've gone and done benjamin oh goodness i'm so ready for this this fucking I got myself made homebrew knockoff <laughs> flu cure. I've got myself a uh, a clove of garlic. You know, I've gone and uh, I've <laughs> I've gone and minced that up. Uh, got a little bit dude. of got a little bit of ginger. I've grated that. Um, uh, dude, are you doing a flu cure or a Chinese stir fry? <laughs> little <laughs> little bit of both, dude. Um, got a little bit of cayenne pepper for a little bit of kick. You know, I love that spice. Uh, <laughs> I've got <laughs> I've got uh, the juice of half a lemon. Uh, oh my god, dude! 
and uh, a boatload of honey, and then I've got I've got a, that in a big mug, and I've stirred that into a whole bunch of boiling water. Any turmeric, dude? Um, n- uh, no, I sort of it was around the time where I was tapping the cayenne pepper into the mug that I was like, I may have gone a few a bit far in a few places here. <laughs> At some point, you stopped making the fucking potion and just started making dinner. Like, got confused. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just added um, like a few bits of diced chicken breast to the pan. <laughs> Uh, and then as I waited for this uh, mystical brew to steep, I, I got the, the, the knock on the door from my Uber man who'd brought my spicy super ramen from Tokyo Table. Uh, and I, I drank down that magic broth as well. So I'm in a, I'm in a very spicy, garlicky... Uh, You're in a soupy he- healing space. place. Yeah, d- very soupy. I would, and expect my all my dialogue tonight to be uh, particularly soupy. All right, shall we tuck in with the actual movie? Let's get started on this one. First note that I've got is that like this intro, like the very start of it at least, is kind of not how you like think about it when you cast yeah. your mind on classic Bond intros. It's very subdued. Yeah, I, I got here, like, it's like a super laid-back version of the opening. It's just kind of like, hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for coming in, this is the first effort. Um, we haven't really got the, the nuts and bolts sorted out yet, but we're just trying things out. Um, let us know what you it's think, like, hit us up on, like, Twitter, like, let us let us know. Yeah, we're, we're very keen for feedback, but constructive feedback only, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's like that classic down-barrel shot, but, like, it's silence. It's like down the barrel of a gun, and James Bond walks into frame, and then he turns to the barrel and he shoots it, in dead silence. And then the barrel does that thing where it, like, you know, shakily pans down to the ground like it's, you know, someone who's been shot and they're sort of drowsing their way down to earth. And, like, man, that was weird because it was all in silence. But I gotta say, dude, and I think this is something that is, like, very indicative of the generation that I'm from. This was giving me those GoldenEye N64 vibes. Oh, like, dude, 100%. Hardcore. Because, uh, 100%. because of how jerky the movement was. Like, it's, it's not just because of the gun barrel thing. <laughs> like a badly gun, rendered sprite. Yeah, like, the gun barrel thing is in every Bond movie, but, like, th- this one in particular looked like a shitty N64 version of it, which came, like, decades later in, in GoldenEye. <laughs> We're straight in with that. The music, That classic we we also seem to have a I guess a Space Invaders style attack of coloured dots on screen. Yeah, um, dude, boys at the sixties. Yeah, dude, <laughs> Jesus. Dots. Of course, the first Bond film of all, which we haven't actually mentioned yet, is in fact Doctor No, the nineteen sixty two Bond film. Uh, <laughs> we and just this one, right in, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Bond, but uh, it was very laid back. You know, whatever. There's no rules, baby. Um, but yeah, Terence Young is helming this one. Um, and yeah, it is it is sixty two, and we are it's like nineteen sixty two in the heart of the 60s here because we then roll from all these attacking dots into these cool dancing silhouettes of people and oh, it's dude, just... okay it was so weird because it was like okay so there were the dots there was the very Bond I was like okay yeah right off the bat this is a point of remakeability especially for Bond the iconic Bond music the like gun barrel thing these cool like weird trippy openings then the music changes to this weird calypso music and we yeah. get these like Footloose dancing silhouettes like on screen. And it's just like. It's like. You come along to the cinema. What you've seen so far is a man in silence walk into a very small circle, turn to the camera and shoot it, and then some calypso dancing silhouettes. Like, you're just like, what the fuck? I thought this was a movie about spies. We get to see the silhouettes of three blind mice, and then we roll from that into. Like, we, we get like a little match cut into the actual film itself where the silhouettes become these three uh these three old blind 
blind essentially. Yeah, these blind yeah. beggars that are like walking across the street. And because when it started playing Three Blind Mice, I was like, this is an interesting turn to take. It's sort of like a musical pastiche. Uh, I literally was like, going am I watching the right movie? Like, <laughs> I was worried. Of course, we're in Kingston, Jamaica, and you would very justifiably be asking the question, what the fuck is going on? But it's about to start happening. Now we've cut over to some impossibly foppish boys playing a game of bridge. One of them gets yes. up and leaves. He's like, gotta call my boss. He's a real hard ass. His name is Strangways, as we later learn. One of his playing game patriots uh, remarks will hurry back before the cards get cold. Um, and they're just so <laughs> fucking British. Um, yeah, they're playing. I believe we find out later that this place is called the Queen's Club, um, yep. and it's literally just like these well-dressed British dudes that just walk around, and be like, "Ah, oh, yes, bridge and big game fishing." Yes, nah, nah. <laughs> big game fishing, dude. The big game fishing angle is such oh, an underappreciated me, dude. It's so, angle. It's so funny. Like, just they're like, "Oh, he, yes, he was all about big game fishing." Oh, oh yes. yeah, you know Strangways. That was his jam. He loved big game fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes out to his car and he's about to walk into his car but then these three blind beggars just ice the shit out of him with little guns that they have with silences on them what was the purpose of this ruse like why did they have to trek through kingston like pretending to be beggars yeah. to walk up to the queen's club like what was the utility of that it's <laughs> also worth noting that like because we do see these figures later on in the film and they're rocking the same vibe and it's yeah. like are they three hired hitmen is this their like their shtick? Like, yeah, like are, are they? Yeah, the and like, uh, yeah, yeah, like, like like the wet bandits. Um, but like, is it like <laughs> a like? Is there just a big market for hitmen in Kingston, Jamaica? And you've got to do something to impress and to like stand out from the pack. So you can't be like, oh, we're a bunch of hitmen. You got to be like, oh, we're a bunch of hitmen. But we do this really fun three blind mice routine. Um, <laughs> and like, maybe maybe that's part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's all about building your personal brand within the yeah, scene. Exactly. Kingston, yeah, Jamaica. This, dude, this is actually pretty ahead of it. Like, we're talking about, like, I'm not talking about re- remakeability sort of thing, but that self-awareness of branding and that sort of thing, that's very 2018, dude. Yeah, it's and very I think, ahead of like, its time. Very ahead of its time. Okay, so now we're somewhere else, which we later learn is Strangway's, I don't know, house or base of operations, and he's got a telephonist who's phoning someone, we don't know who it is yet, and she's like, ah, yes, uh, Six or six or one oh seven, loud and clear, and then she just gets iced by these same three blind mice. They show up in her windows. They shoot the shit out of her. The death looks really bad because it yeah. is 1962. But God, I love the music. It's it's fucking just so hype. The music in this scene. They break into the house. They steal a file out of the filing cabinet labeled Doctor No. Uh, there it is. There's the title of the movie, man. It's right yeah, there. You they, got they, it. They, they take the body away. And it's important to note they took Strangway's body away as well. So nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Now we get the first example of what I would say is this movie's perplexing decision making about yes. what they do and don't show you. Like, this is an hour and 49 minute movie. It gets along at a decent clip for most of it. They some of the things they decide to include. I'm just yeah, like they they make some choices here for sure. We roll into this, uh, I guess this uh, control room, control room for MI6 or something. I'm just like I- I'm not sure why we see this scene at all. Is my point? Someone at like a telephone bank is like, mm, I can't get through to Jamaica, and he tells his boss, I can't get through to Jamaica, and the guy goes over to the phone and he's like, we can't get through to Jamaica. Yeah, should we tell him? Okay, let's tell him. And then the next scene, it's someone walking into a club to go meet James Bond, and it's like, couldn't we have just had that scene? Like we could yeah. ensure. <laughs> like, what is you're, no, purpose? you're you're a hundred percent correct. There, there's there's a little bit of uh, 
people still figuring out movie making here, I think. Uh, uh, I, I got the vibe that because like this is obviously translated from a book, the famous, you know, Ian Fleming, James Bond novels, like Doctor No, I got the vibe that a lot of the scenes in this were literally like someone adapting this book into a screenplay being like, okay, what happens now? The book shifts focus to this uh, office room. Okay, well, we have to have that. We can't just skip it. So let's just keep it short. Four lines of dialogue. Next scene. <laughs> yeah, what, one thing I wanted to... to know as well, because like Ian Fleming's whole thing was that he was like, I was a spy. Now check out yeah. my spy stories. To yeah. what extent did he sort of lean into being like, this is like somewhat semi-autobiographical, and like <laughs> like the fantastical elements of this film, was he just kind of like, yeah, like, yeah, that'll happen to me. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's like, it's within the realm of possibility that this happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure yeah, we'll have specific examples later on, but I watched the entire film through the lens of being like, did Ian Fleming just kind of like, not say this was, this was true, but yeah, say it, and then just like, yeah, just look at people and like try and give like, like mm. it. Yeah, totally, dude. Just totally. Trying to like slide it in. But I find this movie definitely pivots. Like the first half of this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely pivots. That's a very yeah, that's true. <laughs> the end of it just goes completely off yeah. the wall. Yeah, and, dude. Uh, now we're in a cool club called Le Circle, and Ooh. there's some boy walking in trying to meet James Bond. He's like, um, yeah, I'm looking for James Bond. And then we cut to a card table where James Bond is winning at a game of cards. And oh boy, is this a fucking... You gotta remember, this is the first on-screen appearance of James Bond. It is, of yeah. course, Sean Connery, and boy, is this pretty cool. It's in, iconic like, it, for a reason, dude. Like, it yeah. is, yeah. We're in, like, this high rollers bar, Jimmy Bond is there at the table, like, playing cards, fucking bluffing people, saying cool one-liners. Someone asks him his name, he gives us the first delivery of Bond. James Bond. And there's this lady in red on the opposite side of the table who he's playing against, and she seems to be very rich. Ultimately, this scene felt kind of pointless to me. Like, I felt myself wondering, like, is, is any of this going to come back? Like, I don't know about you, but I was like, is any of this going to be relevant? Basically, what it feels like is that Ian Fleming is a former spy who's written a wildly successful series of novels which have been faithfully adapted into a, into a, a movie, <laughs> and, like, they're aware of how popular the character is, and so they're just kind of like, yeah, check it out. Here we go. Because, like, there's a lot of stuff here where it's just kind of like... Hey, and like, don't be wrong, character work in a story, like, I'm all for it. But, like, the film really does pander to be like, God, he's cool. Oh, and, like, he's the like, coolest boy. Yeah. And he is cool. Like, this yeah. is very cool. When he says his name, the music comes in, like, and he's like, yeah. Bond, James Bond. It's very, very cool. He gets called away from the table, and this lady in red follows him. They have a little flirty exchange, and he's like, Sylvia Trench, I think you mean? Okay. Uh, the lady <laughs> thank in you. Red. I didn't get her name, so thank you very yeah. much. You know, I, you know, I try hard with those. He suggests they play golf, and then maybe <laughs> get d- dinner later. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, ooh, you, you're a real romantic, aren't you? You really know the way to a woman's heart. Yeah, around a golf and a dinner? Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> this point I'd written down, I love that so much time is devoted to Bond just being a cool fucker, but I came to change that perspective later in the film. <laughs> <laughs> if this movie was made today, this scene where he's playing uh, cards with the lady Trench, and then he like, agrees to meet with her later, like, that's going to be plot important. Like, she's going to turn out to either be a villain or save yes. him at the end or something. Yeah, Because that's just, you know, narrative structure and economy of screen time. Yeah, totally. Or, like, she... Yeah, or she becomes his reason to, like, come home. Like, yeah. they start dating and there's some emotional attachment. But no, it's just... It's another lady for James Bond and then he just, like, yeah. swans away, essentially. 
Exactly. So, now we've got James Bond walking into MI6. He walks in through the door and throws his hat onto a hat hook. He walks in, he does a cool hat trick, and I was like, dude, nice. Like, I I think really setting up for Oddjob in, like, uh, in the later film franchise. It's foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, at this point, I want to introduce you to my Shaken Not Stirred special segment, which I'm calling Stunt Stylin'. Which is Ooh, okay. where every time James Bond does a trick or a stunt of some description, uh, by my definition, I give all of those stunts a rating. <laughs> okay. Like an, on an A through F scale. So this this hat throw, I was like, okay, that's not too bad. Style rating C. This is the first <laughs> instance of James Bond doing something cool. You know how when you play like Burnout or something and you do like a, a stunt and you get a style rating at the end? Yeah, yeah, of course. That's what I'm going for, yeah. Style rating C on the hat throw. I'd probably push it a little higher. Not, oh, no. it's, it's not super impressive, but you have to understand the social risk there. Because cause this isn't a, a, a life, life at risk sort of thing. He's just walked into a room and he's in front of a woman that he knows relatively intimately. For him to, like, attempt throwing the hat and not nail it, like, the only thing that, like, comes out, you come out from that, unless it's a complete success, like, you're an absolute failure. Like, there are certain stunts you can try, and if you nearly nail it, it's still, like, a worthy attempt. But if you fuck the hat throw, it, it's game over. <laughs> that's that's true. We meet Money Penny. This is... Like, the only time we see Money Penny in this movie. Which, again, begs the question, what is the point? He goes over to Money Penny. She's like, you never take me out for dinner dressed like this. You never take me out for dinner dressed at all. And he says, yeah, I'd be booked for illegal use of government property. Uh, which Jesus, is yeah. such a gross thing to say. To which her response is, flattery will get you nowhere. Oh, man. I just had here, like, cool working environment in the 60s. Like, yeah, real very... cool. Because, like, he's literally, like, sitting on her lap and, like, kissing her forehead. And, like, obviously, like, this is, like, back and forth banter between the two of them. But it's also, like, a lot for this dude to just rock up and be like, ah, your government property. Ah. Like, and <laughs> yeah, just, like, like, swans away. Is this meant to be M? Like, he doesn't get his name. He doesn't get his name set at any point. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't think anyone's like, oh, now you can go talk to M. This is M. He meets M, and we get the colder adventure of the movie. So the Jamaican, the guy in Jamaica, Strangways, was down there because some American missiles are being toppled, which is the word for when their like gyroscopes get interrupted by radio waves. And the U.S. thinks it's coming from Jamaica, so they sent you know CIA and MI6 people down there to figure out what the fuck was going on. And they lost contact with their operatives, so they're sending Bond in after it. That's that's the crux of it, right? Yeah, we have here. So basically, like uh, Bond's next assignment is that in three hours' time. Uh, it, it is, like, 3 a.m. in the morning here. And, like, M remarks, like, he's kind of like, oh, James, you're up, like, fucking around at 3 a.m. in the morning. But M's in at work at 3 a.m. So, like, when it's does true. he it's, sleep? It's also bright outside. <laughs> yeah. It's, hey, I mean, it's that classic English weather, dude. Like, you never know yeah, when it's going to Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Four seasons in one day. Yeah. <laughs> Eternal summer is one of them, I guess. Yeah, Bond's heading to on a, a plane to Jamaica in, like, three hours. We uh, have a, a brief instance of the armorer coming in. Is this meant to be Q? Yeah, so I think it's uh, what Q becomes eventually, or rather this person becomes Q down, down the line. Um, but basically, it's essentially them accosting James Bond for using a Beretta, which is, like, this ten years old. This was such a strange scene. Yeah, they're like, you must use the Walter PPK. 
And what like, was the utility of this scene? Like, I was expecting, like, oh, it's gonna come back. The Walter's gonna jam on him or something, and he's yeah. gonna pick the Beretta, and that's gonna work, and he's gonna be like, oh, I told you I should have been using the Beretta. No, this feels like something that happened to Ian Fleming, that he was like, I have to include this in the novel well, for realism. Actually, I actually read a couple of the James Bond novels when I was younger, which is, like, an additional layer of fandom that I actually, up until now, forgot I had. Um... But it was like an unrelated story to one of the films, and like there's a point there where James Bond is getting ready, and he makes a remark about not being as big into gadgets as like other um, like secret agents and that sort of thing, and which I think goes completely out the fucking window. Like the further into this movie franchise we get, like once oh, you yeah. get further into this franchise, they <laughs> the really fucking go to town Bond. with that. But like yeah. I think I think that in the first iteration of this character, they're trying to make him like. Oh, he's kind of like a a classic a, man's man. Yeah, you know what I mean? A, like he's a he, bit of a troglodyte kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, exactly. He doesn't like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want your new fancy gun. He wants the Beretta yeah. that's always worked for him. And like all he it, needs is a gun in his hands. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he's the world's deadliest agent. He just needs his gun and his hands, like <laughs> most agents. But if you take his hands away from him, oh boy, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, not me hands! What have you done with me hands? <laughs> oh, dude, this is this dude, is a great idea for a film. Do you think that's what happened to Doctor No? Dude, that is this movie. Oh man, <laughs> you just, you've uncovered it—the the, the, the deep pathos of this movie. Yeah, there but for the grace of hands goes James Bond. Got my first mighty goo for you in this movie. The Beretta pistol that Bond has at the briefing is a model 1934 and was never chambered for 25 ACP as mentioned. It was only chambered in 380 ACP, 9mm short, which is more powerful than 7.62mm, 32 ACP, that Boothroyd states the Walther is chambered for. When Q leaves, when Q branch gives Bond his Walther PPK, it's really a Walther PP. So there you go. Some gun enthusiast mad about the caliber of the weapons. Right. Is he also implying that the Beretta is better? Yeah, I mean, he's implying that the Beretta is, has more powerful rounds. So, was, James Bond was yeah. right, essentially. He when he was like, oh, fuck you, let me keep my Beretta. But no, the Walther does become his gun of choice for the remainder of the franchise. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Like, literally, this is just so alien to me. Fucking, you may as well just be speaking Greek. 25 ACP, 32 ACP, whatever the fuck. I don't care. So now Bond leaves with his new gun that he hates, and he's got no time for Money Penny. As he's walking out, M's like, oh, Money Penny, dispense with your normal bullshit. Mr. Bond's in a hurry. And he just leaves. <laughs> just walks, walks straight out. Um, but Bond isn't in that much of a hurry, as when he arrives back to his room, uh, he opens the is door. Is his room and... or his house? Like, what's uh, the deal? Who knows? Well, I think it like, must be in a room in, in like, the casino where he was playing, I'm guessing. Um, because Miss Trench is in the room playing... And he doesn't care at all. Play- she's pl- yeah, the secret agent who doesn't really give a shit. She's playing miniature golf, wearing like a like a satin shirt and like nothing else. And he's yeah. just kind of like, oh, but I, I'm afraid I have to be out of here very soon. And she and like I have to be out of here immediately. And they start macking on, and then she's like, how soon? And he's like, almost immediately. And like then yeah. they they just have sex essentially. Yeah, and I guess it's, he's it's still got like- time for a throwdown again. Yeah. this is the thing for me where I'm just like. No utility. No utility. I was expecting this. Like I was expecting this was gonna become relevant, and it really, really did not. But some point that I've remarked so far. So far, every woman who has been on screen has wanted to fuck James Bond. Hey, so- my friend, a trend that is not going to stop. What is it like? What, what was like the tagline of the franchise? Like 
women want him, men want to be him, or something. Yeah, that that whole vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Did Ian Fleming write that? Because like that is like a real <laughs> fucking move, like to write a character based somewhat of your own life and then be like. Women want him, men want to be him. I'm talking about me, Ian Fleming. Like, this yes. is my life, and, like, this it's is what me, you want. Ian Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> the man everyone wants to be. <laughs> it's true. Do you think you just made up the whole spy thing? Anyway. Uh, Jimmy Bond's in Jamaica. I love that the music is just pervasive. Like, I, I, yeah. I love that aspect. Totally. Of it's so good. So he gets out of the airport, and there's a driver there waiting for him, like, oh, Mr. Bond, they sent me to take you to government house. And he's like, yeah, let me just... Check my reservation. And uh, he goes back inside and, and calls his contact at government house. And they're like, we didn't send a bloomin' car for you, Mr. Bond. And he's like, ah, oh, they're trying to pull the wool over my eyes, those fuckers. I'm not going to let them get away with that. And uh, goes back outside. But not before we get a look at a weird camera lady who's taking photos of him for some reason. And also a weird glasses man. Oh, yeah, and a weird glasses man who's also looking at him. So, so basically, Bond uh, walks headfirst into this decoy car, essentially, which is like his sort of MO of being like, ah, oh, someone's trying to put the wool over my eyes. Well, then I will uh, continue uh, exactly on with the plan and yeah, like, uh, allow them to walk into, into the traps. Yeah, he, I think he just fucking loves it, dude. Um, yeah. But they, they get in this car and as they're driving away, uh, I believe the, the glasses man is in the car and uh, um, they're on their tail. And so yeah, in a the, different car. They're chasing. Yeah, him, yeah. yeah they're, they're they're going around like they're on like a long straight road and Bond, like you know a, a straight road. Uh, and Bond's like, oh, get away from them! Uh, quickly, take the next turn off. And like they go around a corner and then they take the turn off and the other car continues on. He's like, we totally did it. But he knows that the driver is also out to get him, so he fucking puts his gun to the driver's back and he's like. Tell me who you're working for, Mr. Jones. And the guy's like, oh, I'm not working for anyone. I'm just bloody here to drive you to the bloody console. And then he's like, out of the car, Mr. Jones. Keep your hands where I can see you. And uh, he like, opens the door and like tries to like pull him out of the car. Fucking Jones like goes for the gun that's in his glove box. He gets his hand knocked out of the way. He gets thrown onto the dirt. He picks up like a log and tries to go for Bond. Bond fucking judo flips him onto the ground. Oh, dude, this karate fight is so good. His fucking line, uh, as like like here sort of thing. Like this fist fight like breaks out and he's just kind of like get up and then punches him and he's like now talk. And I think yeah. like that has <laughs> so like a get up punch now talk is particularly yeah. fun. Yeah, dude. Certainly uh style rating B plus for this judo. Yeah, film. dude. The way he just like it's... spins him in the air, like it's like yeah. yeah. And the look on Sean Connery's face as he's executing this judo throw was just so fucking magnificent. Mr. Jones for LVP, because he just sucks. Like his whole he, he was like he just made such a clumsy effort to get his gun. He made such a clumsy effort to come at Bond with a bit of wood. And then he just gives up so quickly. Like, what has happened to him at this point? He's been thrown to the ground. He's been punched once. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I guess it's over for me now. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> a pretty, that's a pretty colossal failure, dude. Like, I, I, I get it. Yeah, well, he gets an LVP. But then he's like, at least let me have a smoke. And Bond's like, well, of course. I mean, <laughs> I have to let I'm not have a monster. You know what yeah, I mean? I have to let like, you and smoke. like, because to be to be fair, the, the Daniel Craig James Bond probably would have said no. So that's a yeah. real change in character throughout the franchise. Gets like a smoke out of his pocket and just stuffs it in his mouth. 
Oh, fuck, it's so funny. Because, like, at a certain point, how hard is it to actually chomp through the filter and into the cyanide pill? Like, he makes such a meal of it, be like, mm, and, like, really tucks on in. At this point, I'm like, shit, dude, Jones for MVP. That was fucking amazing. Like, the turnaround, like, so quickly. Part of the reason he got MVP for me is, like, he would literally rather die than give away information on his employers. Like, that's loyalty, man. Now Bond drives the car that is meant to drive him up to government house. He's got the dead body of Mr. Jones in the back seat, and he's like, Sergeant, make sure he doesn't get away. Fucking classic Bond one-liner. Yeah, this classic as this fucking sergeant, like, realises he means this guy is dead, and is, a like, corpse. absolutely horrified yeah, that this guy rocked up. Like, I, we don't know that if he's ever been to Jamaica before, right? So, like, yeah, maybe he's just, like, like... And this guy rocks up and be like, mm, make sure he doesn't get away, Sergeant. And it's like, oh, cool, you, you got, like, a prisoner here? Or, oh, my God, that's a corpse. You drove a corpse here. And what? then the and, best and, thing and, like, is, nobody challenges him. Like, they don't ask him any questions. They don't try and stop him walking into headquarters. They're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, they're just, they're, they're just like, oh, man, I want to be him, though. Like, yeah, so and all the women are like, I want to be with him. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon there would be like a better franchise if instead of it was instead of if it was like men want to be him and women want to, want to be with him if it was just like men and women want to be with him and just like everyone James Bond met wanted to fuck him and like yeah, it was dude. this like horrifying conflict of interest where like no matter where he was going like in all his dealings everyone just kind of wanted to bone and it was like this exhausting and horrifying existence where he was just like leave me alone let me be a spy I feel like that's the premise for an SNL sketch starring Andy Samberg as James Bond <laughs> Uh, well, thanks, dude. That was an original idea for me, so I think, uh... <laughs> are you saying, are you saying I got that Sandberg humour? Is that yeah, what I'm saying? <laughs> you've got that very Lonely no. Island vibe, dude. <laughs> oh, dude, I was thinking about, like, a theme song as well. Like... Everyone wants to bone. And just, like, some funny sort of, like, a musical pastiche, essentially. Man, this probably won't make the show, but apparently Andy Samberg is a really nice guy, and that fills me with actual joy. Yeah, I mean, people, that can people be, who that, work with him. Dude, that, that can make the show. Like, I'm on. <laughs> I, 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 there's no grudge between me and Samberg. Like, that wasn't no, like a, no, a, a I, Samberg I, comedy vibe. Like, I'll keep it in the show. <laughs> like, don't worry. I'm not offended by that. Like, you can say you're friends with him. I don't give a shit. Like, whatever, man. Like, do you want him to host the show? I, I mean, I'll quit, dude. If you want me to quit, you, if you well, want was... Samberg over me, dude, I'll, 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 I'll step out, dude. Like, I don't want to say no way of you and Samberg. <laughs> I was more thinking we bring him in as like a third host and like right, maybe right, right. like in, in season two he starts as like a side character, but then by season four he's eclipsed us both and it's not yeah, called Still Lifted anymore. It's called Still, Still Sandberg. Sandberg. Yes. <laughs> the same joke. The same And the best thing is if that he was here, he'd make the same joke too. It's yeah, just that, that whole that mental link. Very good. That's why he's a that's why he's a natural fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got that Sandberg humor, dude. That's yes. our new. That's our new uh, fucking our franchise tagline. We got that Sandberg humor, and we'll just yeah, like post check- that all over everywhere. Check our Sandberg style out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he meets the commissioner down in Jamaica, and the commissioner's like, "Yes, yeah, funny business with Strangways. He disappeared. What, what don't you know?" And Bond's like. Did anybody else see him before he disappeared? And the guy's like, oh, just the boys we were playing bridge with. Shall I introduce you to them? And then it's like, yes, introduce me to them in a social context. And then he leaves. And again, this is one of those scenes where I'm just like... 
Could have been a phone call. Could have been in the briefing. Yeah. Could could have been like in his documents that he reads on the plane. You're going yeah. to this meeting that the commission has organized for you. Like they could just save so much time. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to the Queen's Club to meet the people who played bridge with it. Like they were the last people to see him alive. Cool. Yeah, got no it. one would have questioned that. We rock that. up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he goes to Strangway's house, and there's this investigator there, there's like a patch of red shit on the carpet, and he's like, oh yes, that's a blood patch. Wow, fucking ace detective. Yeah, video, dude, man. so good. They're like, oh, the blood type's O positive, and he's like, oh yeah, that's her blood type, alright. Like, why does Bond know the blood type of the telephonist who worked for Strangway's? You gotta yeah. wonder whether he's been down there before, and whether he's actually Dexter. Uh, Bond does some investigating at Strangway's house, he sees a picture of Strangway's doing some deep sea fishing with like a a Jamaican gentleman and he's also got a receipt for a geologist he's got a geology lab receipt and that's all that's important from here he goes to the hotel that he's living in and something very very cool happens which is a man brings him a drink and says medium dry vodka martini mixed like you said and not stirred that's fucking... That's it, dude. That's the drink. That's the Bond one. It's the approximate title of this sub-podcast. Interestingly, Bond doesn't actually say that for, like, several movies. Yeah, he of course. Never actually yeah. Say it, but a couple of people say it in this movie. So I, I gave an MVP to the guy who made his drink just for making the first of this very iconic Bond drink. So, so Bond's in his room. He's laying some simple traps. He's putting a hair over the cupboard. He's putting some talcum powder on the fucking buttons on his briefcase so he knows if anyone's coming. He puts his gun on and he heads out. Gotta say, dude, counter like counterintelligence shit, very remakeable. Dude, I always I love that shit. I love this. I love this. Did you ever, like, as a wee, a wee child, did you ever get those, like... Do you remember when, like, there used to be, like like, monthly, like, magazines that would come that were about, like, something or other. Like, there were some that were about, like, building your own robot at home, and they used to, like, advertise them on the TV. There was, like, mail-order, like, kits. Yeah. There was this, like, monthly subscription mail-order James Bond magazine that, like, yeah. my brother mm-hmm. and I had a subscription to as we young children. And oh, yeah, it just dude. contained the lamest shit. And, like, one of the shits was always, like, set little traps around your own home. And this was the kind of shit they were talking about. Like, put hairs over your drawers and doors so you know if anyone's been getting in and out of there. Yeah, dude, I I had a subscription to one of those magazines. Oh, yeah, Um, one of those James Bond mags? It was was the James Bond cars, though. And so, with the magazine... so specific! That uh, with the magazine would come one of, like, the James Bond... Like, a model of one of the James Bond vehicles. And I remember distinctly... Uh, I didn't have a subscription, but I bought the first one, and I remember speaking to the uh, the news agent there, and the guy was like, "Oh, cool! Like, yeah, we can get these in for you, but like, are you definitely going to like actually buy them? Because we're not sure if anyone else is going to come through. But if you if you actually want them, <laughs> we'll bring them through." And I remember being like, "Yes, sir, I one hundred percent want all of these," and I I never returned. They were like eight ninety five an issue, man. Like, yeah, dude. To find I that kind of scratch. I, I I wonder if it's kind of, if it's kind of like uh, that episode of uh, Futurama with like Fry's dog, and if that if that news agent is just there standing in the rain with like a stack of a stack of magazines and model cars yeah. waiting for me to come Hold, back, holding like, just like a, um, a model of the invisible Aston Martin, just waiting. For you yeah, to dude. Come get it. I I forgot all about that, but I feel quite guilty now. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're at the Queen's Club for all of about four seconds while James Bond sits down with these two guys. They're like, oh, he was so into big game fishing and he used to go fishing with this guy called Quarrel. I have a quote here. Like one of them's like, personally, I never knew him to talk about anything but big game fishing and bridge. And, <laughs> which I think is just so good. He goes to find this uh, Jamaican fisherman named Quarrel who apparently charters out his boat to take people out big game fishing. And he meets Quarrel at the beach. And Coral's like, no, I won't take you out. Uh, and then we get this really weird scene where he follows Quarrels at this bar. They chat at the bar. There's someone there singing a wonderful song about a mango tree. <laughs> then he's like, yo, Quarrel, come talk to me in the back room. They go into a back room and Quarrel and his friend try and jump James Bond. Yeah, um, basically, like, his friend, his, this random dude comes in and Quarrel's like, be careful, that fella fights out, al- like, that fella wrestles alligators. <laughs> um, and then, alligators. Yeah, and then James <laughs> Bond immediately, like, kicks at Quarrel, knocking him over. <laughs> And then flips this dude away from him. Like, immediately. And, like, LVP to that guy, who... Yeah. I'm I'm very pleased to tell you. Like, basically, like, this that they get thrown off, and then Bond gets a gun to his back. And we meet here Felix Leiter, the CIA agent, uh, who Bond was told about earlier in the film was, like, involved yep. in this investigation. Who, who strips um, Bond of his gun, then immediately gives it back to him, and says, Oh, you must be James Bond. I'm the CIA guy. And... Leaves me begging the question, what was the purpose of all of this? Like, why did they go through this ruse? Like, why did he have to go down there, meet the fisherman, and Quarrel be like, oh no, I won't talk to you, take him into a back room, try and jump him, the CIA come in and they're like, huh, you're Bond? Cool, we're all friends. And Quarrel's like, sorry to spook you, Mr. Bond. Like, literally why? Were they just pranking him? Like, was it literally just for jokes? Dude, what that's, was what the I, purpose? that's what I mean. Because, like, Felix sort of says, like, oh, we saw you get in the car with the enemy, and we thought, ah, oh, never mind. And I was like, dude, Felix, like, you were, we didn't touch this, and you could have just, like, gone up to me and like, yo, James, it's, uh, it's, it's me from the CIA, Felix, you know. Like, yeah. they, they knew he was coming in. It's really bizarre. One thing I do need to point out to you, though, is that in this round of introductions we have here, we see an immediate switch from Quarrel of being this, like, shady, punchy kind of dude to being, like, the loveliest guy in the world, essentially, and it's being like, how you doing, man? So great to meet you. Super lovely. We then also get the name of our alligator wrestling friend who I gave an LVP to. His name is Puss Fella. Yeah, I also had his name written His down. name is Puss Fella. And Puss like, Fella. And I checked it up on IMDb. It's Puss, P-U-S-S. That's his first name. And his last yep. name is Fella. And like, yep. like, for the rest of this scene, Quarrel at a couple of times calls out to him and is like, Hey, hey Puss Fella. Puss fella, and it's just like, yeah. Ian. We can't move past the fact that, like, they, they go to this big, you know, Caribbean dance party, and the camera's, like, panning through this dance party, and there is this dude just going fucking bananas at the dance, like, shaking his face back and forth, like, his lips are all, like, flopping all over the place. <laughs> I gave him an MVP for how hard he's going to, like, he's just literally just fucking losing his <laughs> mind at this dance, and I loved it so much. So, MVP to the dude losing his fucking gourd at the dance scene. <laughs> and then, yeah, 
James is talking to the CIA guy. They're telling him they haven't found out what might be causing the toppling, but there's one like cove they can't go to, which is called Crab Key. Uh, oh man! The photographer from the airport comes past, as you said, and takes photos of the party, and then J- yeah, James is quarrel. like, gra- "Yeah, quarrel, grab her!" And like, quarrel just like walks over, like grabs her, pulls her over, and they're like sort of like they're questioning her, and very much like with uh, the. Uh, the the car drive the the chauffeur from earlier she's like just not giving anything out no uh, not interested quarrel is just kind of like huh, we don't get nothing out of this girl want me to break her arm and Dude, like just like, says it so positively quarrel kinda, like, is awful man yeah he's just kind of like let me go let me do it I'm I'm ready I'm ready Dude, to break he's some a machine. arms. He's a man who can't be stopped. Uh, except he is stopped, because James is like, who do you work for? She's like, I'm a freelancer. And they're like, yeah, whatever. So she breaks a flashbulb and fucking stabs Quarrel in the goddamn face. But yeah. he doesn't even react. He doesn't no. give a shit. And then she turns to them and is what is probably like the worst delivered piece of dialogue in this film. She's kind of like, you'll be sorry. You'll all be sorry. You're rats. And then she yep. leaves, and we never yeah. see her again. Yeah, okay, and, like, so that, LVP, okay, that last... No, I don't know about LVP for this woman. Yeah, fair enough, if you want to give it to her. For me, LVP to the fucking writers. Because, like... Oh, totally, you'd, dude, yeah. you'd be forgiven for thinking this character is going to be important. Like, maybe she's a spy for Dr. No. No, she literally never comes back. She was a red herring. Her entire purpose is to mislead you about some conspiracy that's going on. Anyway, from this scene we get another mighty goof, which is that Annabelle, which is this character's name, breaks a flashbulb on uh, Coral's right cheek, producing a large amount of blood, but in subsequent shots there's no wound on his face. I don't think that's a goof. I think that's just a testament to Quarrel. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, his, his healing factor. It's like Yeah, he's got charts. a Wolverine healing factor. <laughs> yes, dude. I'm so glad you went there. Strangways was going into Crab Key and taking samples of water and sand and rock and bringing them to some geology lab. And Crab Key belongs to some Chinese dude named Dr. No. And he won't let anyone get there. So there you go. A hot lead for James Bond. James goes back into his hotel room. Uh, there's dudes out in the parking lot who are trying to shoot him, but they fail to shoot him because a truck drives by at an opportune moment. This was weird well, to th- me. These were two of the blind mice, dude. Yeah, this was weird to me, though, having James escape by a turn of luck. And then, like, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't see the blind mice again. Like, no. they, make, they make one half-hearted attempt to assassinate James Bond. They get interrupted by a truck, and they're like, well, he's unkillable. <laughs> and that's well, just the end of it. I can only assume that, like, yeah, maybe the shame was too much, and they, they just also, like, tucked into one of those cyanide cigarettes. Like, that's yeah, just, immediately like, afterwards. I, I think maybe Dr. Noah's trained his employees to be a little bit proactive with, like, the cyanide cigarettes. Like, then there yeah, are too I mean, many situations where they're like, well, gotta do it now. And like, maybe he's too cautious, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, James Bond goes to the geologist office. We get a really needless interaction where he talks to the geologist secretary. Completely useless. Uh, the geologist is like, oh, uh, no, those uh, samples that Strangways gave me, mm, nothing interesting about them. Totally nothing weird about them. <laughs> I'm not being shady. It's impossible that they came from Crab Key. Why would you even suggest that? And then James is like, okay, thanks, Doctor, and leaves. And, like, at this point, I'm like, okay, 
Christ, I'm tired of hearing the phrase Crab Key. Bring me to Crab Key. I'm tired of hearing people talk about it. I want to see it with my own eyes. Yeah. Why is it called Crab Key? Well, I wouldn't mind eating like a Crab Quiche at this point. Like, it's just like the words <laughs> in my head the whole time. I'm getting hungry. The geologist goes down the docks and he's like, bring me to Crab Key. And the guy who owns the boat's like, what? You know the rules. We don't go there during the day. And he's like, I'll take responsibility. Just take me to Crab Key. And he's like, okay. So they get on the boat. They go to Crab Key. He gets ushered into a very spooky room where a disembodied voice is talking to him dude the like, spookiest voice and the voice says some spooky stuff to him which basically boils down to you gotta keep James Bond away from here and also I told you he should be dead by now hey uh go over to that table and he ushers him over to this table and there's a fucking tarantula in a cage yeah and so I guess the plan going forward is that like he puts the he plants the tarantula or I guess the, the venomous spider uh in James Bond's room uh to kill him and like yeah I, like number one questionable plan but number two like i mean questionable particularly because like they're okay with using guns like if you can get into a room with a man just use a gun you can understand if it was a stealth thing like if they were like oh we want him to die and it looked like natural causes like oh you bit by a dangerous caribbean spider okay whatever but they've already like violently murdered two government operatives like they just straight shot the shit out of strangways and like his telephonist so why are they now like oh it's all about a stealth takedown of bond so now bond is walking through the lobby and there's some lady there who's like oh the car you requested is sitting in lot number five and he's like oh thank you very much and then he walks (laughs) away and she just like stares at him and is like damn dog like she's so thirsty for a bit of bond so thirsty he gets back into his room. He realizes that all of his fucking tamper alerts have been triggered. The hair's gone off the wardrobe. There's fingerprints on the buttons on his suitcase. How fucking dangerous. <laughs> uh, and now he goes to bed. And you better believe that Tarantula's in his bed. At this point, I gotta note inventive assassination attempts. I like it, dude. Inventive ways to kill people. Very remakeable. The music in this film, very remakeable, obviously. Not just in terms of like the classic title sting up, up top. But just, like, right here, like, the tension created by this, like, super invasive and powerful music as, like, James Bond awakes with this spider crawling over his body and he's just, like, sweating and being completely still. And you really get a sense that, like, one wrong movement and this spider is, like, going to kill him. And I think it's really tense and it genuinely works. Except for the moment when the spider crawls up out of the sheet onto his shoulder and we get this shot where this is a mighty goof. A protective pane of glass is clearly visible between Bond and the tarantula. Bond can be seen squishing his arm up against it. Later, he moves his shoulder and the spider stays in place. So, like, what they've done is, like, they've got some stuntman to, like, have the tarantula crawling up his arm for, like, the down chest shots where it's, like, POV. But then for the shots that's, like, the shoulder, the tarantula up to, like, Sean Connery's face, it's clearly not actually in contact with his skin. (laughs) It looks so bad. Like, I don't know if you noticed that, but it was, yeah, wow. No, dude, I was was in a a flu haze and, like, I was swept up in the the magic of the movie. His escape from this, style rating D, dude. He flails out of bed, he walks over and stands it with his shoe a bunch of times. But dude, I mean, what one thing to defend his style here, he manages to break through the fourth wall and, like, conduct the music with his hits. Like, the music moves in time to each time he crushes the shoe down. And that's pretty that fucking stylish, dude. Now he goes back to Government House to get some files on Dr. No. He's like... What do you know about Dr. No? Talking to the commissioner. The commissioner's like, oh, we'll get you those. Oh, by the way, that box over there, it's a present for you. And he walks over and picks up a big box. 
and starts walking out of the room. Then he turns around and he's like, can I get out that way? Which is just like, why are they showing you this? Turns out he wants to go out that way because that's the direction to the commissioner's secretary because, you know, it's Bond and he can't not hit on the secretary. So he walks out through the front office and he's like, hey, how about uh, we hang out later? And she's like, okay. Okay, so now he's in the boat uh, with Quarrel and he's got the Geyser counter, which, as it turns out, was the present that, uh, I guess, got sent to him from back home. So at this point, I wanted to introduce you to my second uh, Bond-specific game, in addition to style ratings. I wanted to introduce gadget ratings, because as I said up top, like, the gadget aspect of Bond and, like, kind of the wacky stuff is, like, one of my favourite parts about the franchise. But I feel like this movie really, as we've said, doesn't have a lot of it. This Geyser counter... Kind of, for me, I mean, that's a C-plus at best on the gadget rating. Well, it's it's not really, like, an inventive gadget. It's just no, kind of like a tool that's, it's like... It's just a bit like, of lab equipment. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've exactly. got one of those sitting in my lab. Like, there's nothing exciting <laughs> about the gadget counter. It's yeah, just, no, yeah. totally. He realises that the samples must have been radioactive because there's traces of radioactivity left in the boat, and, yeah, they decide they're going to go to Crab Key at night, like, later that night, right? And, like, we get here Quarrel being, like, very shady, being like, I, 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 we shouldn't go to Crab Key. And they're like, no, it's fine, don't worry. And then he's like, no, 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 there's, there's a dragon there. And then, like, yeah. Felix is just straight up like, ah, Native oh, superstitions. And like, bad, yeah, we, we we don't really want to dwell too much on this, but this is where you're kind of like, ah, uh, this film today, yeah. oh no. Yeah, no. It, it, it's important to call it out. It has some absolutely garbage fucking colonialist vibes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so, very <laughs> but, much so. Yeah, this, this, is, this is one of them. It, it gets really explicitly bad later. So the secretary who was just hitting on calls him and is like, come to my house. Miss Taro. It's important to note that it's Taro because, okay, I didn't want to get to this right now, but like, yeah, she's meant to be Asian. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, it's not, it's not even so much an attempt at like, like say like yellow face or something like that. Like, yeah. Like, it's, I know this, this film has been criticised for Yellowface for, for reasons that, again, yeah. become clear a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but this time, it's just kind of like willful disbelief, where they're just like, kind of like... Like, at one point, she says to him... I'll cook you a Chinese dinner. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If she hadn't said that, there would be nothing to tip you off to the fact that this character was meant to be Chinese. Because she is so distinctly Western. Like, the actress is not Chinese, no. She's, she's a British actress. Like, she's just not Chinese. And what's more, there's no reason the character has to be Chinese. They just decided to get a British actress to play an arbitrarily Chinese character. And, like, the only reason you know she's Chinese is because at one point she says, I'll make you a Chinese dinner. Like, and she's got some makeup to make her kind of look maybe vaguely Chinese. It was just perplexing. It's so bizarre. He gets some directions on the phone from Miss Taro, and we get this really weird scene where she's like, it's straight up this road, left on that road, right on this road, straight up that road. And, like, she's lying on her bed, and, like, it's this weird, like, fade out on her, fade up on Bond driving, but she's still giving the directions. Like, I don't know, it just felt like a really weird cut to me. Like, you've had her just being like, come over, I'm waiting for you. Cut to Bond driving. Like, we didn't need the directions on how to get to her house. Again, that whole thing of, like, why show that? So now he's driving, and uh, as you were saying, he's got a... uh, 
dispatch with some goons on the way because a hearse is chasing him. Are we meant to oh. choose that these are the three blind mice? Like, I I have no idea what this was about. There's like Who this knows? weird... There's this weird car chase scene where Sean Connery is doing... It's like clearly in front of a green screen. And Connery is just doing way too much steering. Like, he's doing that thing and, like, driving in front of a green screen where he's just, like, moving his arms back and forth, like, really hard while the car's going straight. Like, it, it just looks so clearly <laughs> fake. And uh, he eventually evades them. There's, like, a big, like, I, I don't know, crane slash, like, digger on the road. And, like, Bond drives his car, like, under the hoe of the digger. But the hearse has to, like, steer out of the way. They fall down the hill. And there's just these gratuitous explosions. I gotta say, dude, that escape, style rating C- minus for Bond. And an absolute F for the driver of the other car. <laughs> <laughs> because he just ramped the hearse. Like, rather than slamming the brakes, rather than turning to the right so maybe he'd crumble his car on the hill he just drives his car straight off the hill like down like it explodes there's fire everywhere and then like Bond gets out of his car the guy who was driving the crane comes out and he's like what happens and Bond goes I think they were on their way to a funeral. <laughs> For me, that was one of those lines that, like, in another Bond movie, could have, like, he could have said, I think they're on their way to a funeral, and then you just get, like, like, I was just totally ready for that. That was one of those those total Bond lines, but it did not occur. So, James shows up at Miss Tarot's house, and she's surprised to see him. Obviously, she thought he'd die on the way. Uh, <laughs> she's just getting out of the shower. Bond, like, takes one of her towels from her while she goes to get, like, changed. Yeah, she he pretends away. to, like, eat it as well, is uh, the weird thing. It's so he kinda, gross, like, dude. At first, I thought he was going to, like, just sniff it or something like that. And I was like, that's pretty gross. <sighs> and then he actually opens his mouth and puts the wet towel in his mouth as if he's, like, a hungry oh, boy it and was it's so gross oh. dude like he just like licks her towel and I was like what is the utility of this like can you imagine dude can you imagine like some woman like comes out in a towel you get the towel and you're just like mmm better lick that I mean unless oh. he has like unless he has like a miniature Geiger counter maybe on his tongue and yeah, he's like and testing he's for like she's radioactive <laughs> material uh, see if she's been to Crab Key recently so stupid. Um, <laughs> so he goes back into her room. She's on the phone to someone. She's like, yeah, uh, I don't know why he's here. I'll try and keep him busy for a couple of hours. And then as he walks in the room, she's like, oh, I must go now. Farewell. And just like so obviously being awkward. They have sex, I guess, because, you know, what else is he going to do to keep Bond busy? He clearly doesn't have anything else oh, in his mind. God. And uh, she's, he's like, oh, I'm hungry. Let's go out for dinner. And she's like, I'll make you a Chinese dinner here that's the thing we talked about before he's like just forget about it let me call myself a taxi and she's like why do you need a taxi didn't you drive and he's like no my car wouldn't this this scene is so weird like i'm playing through my mind like what is the purpose of all this did bond know she was trying to kill him does she know that bond knows like did she not see him pull up in his car like his car was right in front of her front door but she still buys his story about coming by taxi yeah it's and it's it's it is weird because like james is entirely aware that she tried to kill him at this point right so that that's what becomes clear he's aware she tried to kill him and he still had sex with her it's a strange attitude on life to have, I, I think. He could have just arrested her. Like, he's far physically superior to her. He's got a gun. He's a highly trained spy. He knows she's trying to kill him. Instead of just arresting her, he's like, first I'll have sex with you, then I'll arrest you. 
Like, yeah. imagine that in the context of any other officer of the law. The taxi that he called was actually, as it turns out, someone from government house or something, some military or intelligence person. It's not clear. They rock up. He throws her in the car and he's like, take her away, boys. And she's like, what? And then drives away. And that's the last we see of Miss Tarot. He just has her arrested. And so he, yeah. sort, of, he sort of sets up shop there. And he does a... Uh, oh, fuck, he plays dude. solitaire, dude. Fuck, dude. We, we have to go back just very briefly. Uh, okay. Because, like, uh, there's a quote here which I just cannot miss, which was, like, as Bond sits down uh, and, like, as they, they miss him and Mr. Uh, Taro about about to have sex, um, he, undoes, he undoes the back of her dress and she's like, what are you doing back there? Like, what, what, what are your hands doing back there? And then he looks at her, raises his hands in front of her and he's like, look, no hands. And then goes in to kiss her, <laughs> which was just... Like, the most, like, look, ma, no hands. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah. fucking hell, dude. So, it turns out the reason he's staying there uh, and playing solitaire with himself is because he assumed that the geologist, Dr. Dent, was going to come. Because I guess he now knows that Dr. Dent's working with them because he didn't tell him about the fact that the samples are radioactive. And, of course, Dent does come in. And not not, not, bef- has- not before uh, Bond has uh, very craftily gone ahead and done a fun little prank uh, by setting up the pillows him. and cushions as if he were <laughs> as yeah, if dude. he were asleep in the bed, uh, which he I think is just a great. Very, a very cool trap for him. Traps highly remakeable. We can't miss that point. Uh, I mean, I I would even go so far as saying it's a prank, dude. Like yeah, I think, like and way, traps. Yeah, very remakeable. Well, we, we know pranks are always remakeable on the show. Stunts are always remakeable on the show. So yeah, I think that that makes sense. All right, let, yeah. Let, let's let's refer to throughout the rest of um, Shaken Not Stirred. Let's refer to any time James Bond lays a trap as a prank. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> These are Bond's pranks. Uh, so Dent comes in, shoots the shit out of the pillows that James Bond is, you know, laid as a, a prank trap. And then Bond is, of course, waiting behind the door and he's like, drop it, Dent, and drop it behind you. And he throws his gun down on the ground. And then Dent's audio gets really echoey for some reason. Yeah, I, right. I, I noticed at this point, like, okay, so, like, the, the movie is overdubbed. Like, the, 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 like, the audio is dubbed over later. Like, it wasn't recorded at the same time as the film, I suppose. And for some reason, the audio quality in this particular series of shots is just awful. I have absolutely no idea why. But Dent is like, uh, I'm not going to tell you anything, Bond. And then he picks up his gun and tries to shoot Bond, but he can't because his gun's empty. And oh, Bond's dude. like, that's your Smith and Wesson and you've had your six. And then he just murders Dent. He doesn't even try to get any more information out of him. Like, no. Dent's no longer a threat to him. Dent doesn't have a gun that works. And Bond just kills him anyway. Like, he could have just been like, okay, so you're fucked. You acknowledge that now. You may as well tell me what you know. Instead, he just... Kills him! Dude, it's a hell of a line, though. You, you you have to admit. It's an awesome line. It's also a Rain Man bullet counting thing. No question. <laughs> um, but I've got another mighty goof for you here, Jacko. Before Bond shoots Dent, he says, That's a Smith & Wesson and you've had your six. Dent's gun is clearly a Colt Model 1911, which holds seven rounds, or eight with one in the chamber. Also, after Dent fired into the bed, the slide locked back, indicating the weapon was empty, so there was no reason for him to pick it back up and try to shoot Bond with it. So there you go. Someone on IMDb Man. is very mad about guns again. See, because what, what what I thought was going to happen here was that like he was going to be like using a Beretta or something like that, and the Beretta yeah. was going to jam. Oh, hoping and I was the like, Beretta was going to come back. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I like <laughs> like a hopeful child. I was like sitting there being like, oh god, like what's for Christmas? Like is it a is it a Beretta joke? Did you did you do it? Did you nail the callback? No. 
Because that would have been so easy. Like, for him to fire the gun to jam and be like, ah, uh, uh, using a Beretta, I see. You should have used, like, a Walter PPK and just, like, cap. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like some, 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 some like... callback. Yeah, exactly. Like, ah. Uh. Um, but it's around here, dude, that I would love to duck in to some taglines. Oh, please, um, give me the taglines. Now, uh, this is going to be one of those films where we don't actually uh, run with the game version of this. Oh, no, I um, love the game! Yeah, dude, it's it would be impossible, and you're about to find out why. <laughs> but I, I have another fun little segment to, uh, to entice you a little bit later on. I'm going to run through the eight taglines. Let me try and guess one. Can I try and guess one? Yeah, you go is ahead. One, is, is one of them the name's Bond, James Bond? His name is Bond. James oh! Bond. <laughs> I nearly got it. All right. I think yours Fair is enough. better, though. Like, I yeah, think, I mean... Like, there's a better way of putting it, to be honest. <laughs> Look, if there's one thing we've learned from doing these taglines, it's that they're never good. <laughs> All right. I'm going to roll through them. The first screen adventure for Agent 007. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Wait, really? Is that yep. one of them? That was from Jesus. the 35th anniversary poster, so... Okay, alright. Next one. Spend a night with James Bond. Oh so that's just really... Oh my god! You can't! That's tying into that Samboat style! Men yeah. and women both want to spend the night with James Bond. Jesus. Uh, all caps. James Bond. Agent 007. Which oh, is, you know... No. <laughs> um, this is so bad! I These know. might be the worst ones! Miss Honey and Miss Galore have James Bond back for more, which doesn't really make okay. sense because, on, like, no. this is Pussy the Galore's first Pussy Galore's not one. in this movie. Yeah, yeah, Pussy yeah. Galore's not in this movie. What the fuck is that? So no. this is a... Sorry. This is like a, no. It's a retrospective. It's a retrospective where they're considering the whole franchise, but it implies that, like, it's a it's team a up from those two Bond girls when this is, in fact, the very first Bond film. Yes, and only Miss Honey is in it. Is it Miss Honey and Miss Galore have James Bond back for more? As though yeah. this is... A, oh my god. Okay, keep going. The first James Bond film adventure. Which I think is, you know, okay. like... Descri- yeah. Descriptive. You can't yeah. deny that. That's true. Better than the last one. Uh, now the final two. 007. The double O means he is a license to kill when he chooses. Where he chooses. Whom he chooses. Okay. So, yeah. Some weird, like, God... What is it? God syndrome... God yeah, complex vibes. Real yeah. Om- omnipotent sort of yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Now, meet the most extraordinary gentleman spy in all fiction. James okay. Bond, <laughs> Agent 007. <laughs> okay, I, I look, I like these taglines better than a lot of other taglines you've dealt with, because at least they're like accurate. Like at least they describe what's happening in the Dude, fucking... ev- every single one of these taglines, bar one, has James Bond in the tagline, other than the second last one I read out, which was like the 007, the double O means he's a license to kill. Hence why it would have been literally impossible to play the game. Because, like, <laughs> like, like, I was thinking about it, I was like, there's just no way to thread this where it's kind of like, I know that one says James Bond, but maybe it's made up. Like, you don't know. Yeah, like, no, I maybe just, like, that was know. like an Andy Samberg parody of James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now they're getting ready to go to Crab Key. Felix Leiter and James Bond and Quarrel. They're all getting ready and Quarrel's like, oh boy, there's a dragon there and I'm afraid of that because I'm a colonial native. So they get on the boat, they avoid superstition and fear and they make it all the way to Crab Key and Bond decides to camp out for the night, uh, goes to sleep and wakes up in the morning to some singing coming from the ocean. 
And oh boy, this is an iconic ass scene. He looks out like over the log he's sleeping behind, and there's the beautiful Miss Honey Rider coming out of the ocean. Like, singing a little song about mango trees and carrying some shells. And yeah, and I, I guess the, the very first uh, Bond girl in that sort of yeah. uh, that classic. E- e- even though we've, we've, even though he's like had sex with two women already in this film, at least uh, this is the first Bond girl of the movie. Uh, yeah, in, and, in and o- often often regarded as one of the most iconic Bond girls, I feel like. Certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, H- Honey Rider, reasonably famous, cool name as most Bond uh, girls tend to have. Uh, interesting thing about Honey Rider, though, uh, which this is a, a mighty goof, sort of, and, and also just a strange thing about the way they made this movie. The actress who plays Honey Rider is, well, saying the actress is kind of misleading because the, the body is uh, Ursula Andres. The voice is a different actress, and the singing voice is a third actress. So, like... The voice Honey is Rider, a different actress? Yes. The voice is dubbed over by Nikki Van Der Zyl, and the singing is done by Diana Copland. So, three actresses came together to embody Honey Rider. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, she's, she's three times the woman. But, like, why... I don't understand why that would have... Why... Why, why, what was wrong with Ursula's voice? Oh my god, dude. I've just clicked onto uh, Nikki van der Zyl's Wikipedia page, and this is what it says. Nikki van der Zyl is a German voice actress known for providing the voice of Honey Rider in the movie Dr. No. She also revoiced all the other female voices in the movie, except those of Miss Moneypenny and Miss Tarot. Every female character, except for Moneypenny and Tarot, is spoken by Nikki van der Zyl in the voicing. That's Sylvia Trench. That's, I guess, the fucking telephonist early on in the movie. What the fuck? Why did they do that? Why did they replace all their voices with Nikki van der Zyl? Dude, MVP. MVP. Oh, got she got to be. She fucking... She fucking voices like 30 characters. That's yeah. that's fucking insane. But anyway, the mighty goof here is that when Honey Rider is introduced and emerges in the water singing, there's one shot in which her lips aren't moving as she sings. Okay, whatever. I'm all about fucking Nikki Van Der Zyl now. What the fuck? We've got James. He approaches Honey. She's like, leave me alone. And he's like, it's cool. I'm James Bond. And she's like, okay, whatever. My name's Honey Rider. She immediately says, what's so funny about it? He didn't laugh, even a little bit. He wasn't like, haha, weird name. She's like, my name's Honey Rider. He's like, okay. And she's like, what's so funny about it? Yeah, like, I guess she's just insecure. Immediately, they get strafed by a boat, uh, which has, like, machine guns on it. They're driving past. They're, like, shooting at them. And, like, Quarrel and James and Honey all oh, hide in the ditch. Oh, man, this boat, the captain is so ineffectual. Like, he's, he's, he's on a megaphone, and he's trying to, like, call out to these intruders and, like, get them to come out. And after, like, failing enough at first that they actually fire their gun on them, he then stops and is like, You coming out? Uh, you, co- you coming out? Well, well all right then, but we'll, we'll, we'll be back. We'll and be then back. They, you better believe we'll be back. They zoom away, and I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, yeah. oh. They zoom straight away. Hiding in a ditch is a stunt. Very unstylish. C minus. So <laughs> now we get Bond and Honey and Coral. Just spend an inordinate amount of time trekking around Crab Key. Coral was like, there's a dragon, there's a dragon. And Honey's like, it's true, there's a dragon. I've seen it as well. And Bond's like, what the fuck? Why would there be a dragon? Dragons aren't real. And she's like, how do you know? She proceeds to say a couple of amazing things. Dude, I have the full quote here, and this leads into my next segment. What Honey Rider says these next few sentences is about the most bonkers thing I've ever heard in a film ever. 
But yep. she turns to James Bond upon him saying that dragons don't exist. And she's like, what do you know about animals? Did you ever see a mongoose dance? Or a scorpion with sunstroke sting itself to death? Or a praying mantis eat her husband after making love? Now, there's lots to unpack there. N- n- like number one, uh, the yep. con- concept of marriage between insects. I think yep, that's and making love, fun. also. The um, concept of love in insect yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, mongoose dancing, like, I'm not, like, basically there are a lot of things here where I was kind of like, now, like, is that true? Like, do these animals actually do that? Have a concept of dancing? Yeah. Yeah. And so, Benjamin, I have a couple of, like, little statements here. And I want you to give me a true or false. And they're about animals. (gasps) Oh, Um, yes, dude. This is very, uh, like, our defunct psychom show. Uh, yeah, me, dude, 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 yeah, me, yeah. Me, so they're yeah, true or false. Me. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shoot a few at you. Number one, tarantulas transform their prey into a liquid smoothie and drink it with their straw-like mouth. True or false? Okay. I've definitely heard that before. I don't know if it's true, but the fact that I've heard it before leads me to say true. Correct. The Loch Ness monster is a protected species. True or false? Okay, that's interesting because the Loch Ness monster is not real. Uh, but I would believe that, like, the Parliament of Scotland is, like, a fun tourist thing. We're like, oh, yeah, protected species. So I'm going to say true. Under the provisions of the ni- 1912 Scottish Protection of Animals Act, <laughs> that is 100% true. <laughs> Flamingos are pink because of what they eat. Oh, boy. Um, I feel like that's also something I've heard, but that seems like an old wives' tale. So I'm going to say false. True. Their colour comes from a shrimp-like crustacean, and in captivity, they lose their pink colour if their diet is not supplemented. Hey, hey Jackson, are they all true? Is this the game? Is this a bunch of animal facts? Uh, It's it's a shame, because most of the fun ones are actually true, which is a a real shame. It probably makes sense, really, but, like, yeah, it's maybe a a failure of of the segment in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, like, if if all you're getting out of them uh, is, you know, like, the interesting facts, and I think that's the the important thing Hey, hey, Jackson, let let me hear with you you with some fun animal facts that I know to be true. Did you know that owls never shit? (laughs) Really, Benjamin? (laughs) Yeah, dude, that's... That's, do you think that's true or false? I think that's probably false, dude. If I had to, if I had to tell you the no, truth, no, no, dude, that's science. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or did you know that um, <laughs> rhinos? Every every rhino uh, dislikes the works of Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> so oh shit! I mean, I can get that, dude. I I, I think that's uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Although this is a nice memorial episode for that law. Did you see the whole thing about that? Uh... That the last male white rhino is yeah, dead. Yeah, 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 dude. Uh, this is this is our our m- memorial episode. So um, this is uh, listen. We re- we really buried the lead, but this that's what this episode's been all about. The honey's like, I know a cool hiding spot, and they're on the way to the hiding spot. Fucking heading through the trees, they get in a little lake, and then the army, I guess, shows up to track them down. And Bond's like, everybody, quick! And he cuts some reeds and does a fucking Robin Hood thing, where he gives everyone a reed. They're all hiding under the water, breathing through the reeds. That is a stunt, dude. I love it because I love that Robin Hood film. So that is an A stunt for me. One of the yeah, best dude, stunts I loved in this it as movie. well. So, like, the, the dogs leave, and most of the people leave who are chasing them, and then there's one guy left in the swamp. And he, like, walks past them, and Bond gets up and, like, strangles him, like, very Last of Us stealth takedown style, and just, like, puts him in the grave. Yeah, and dude. So Last of Us. At this point, I've got a little mighty goof for you, which I actually agree with. 
After the last guard passes them while they're hiding in the river, Bond emerges from his hiding spot to kill the guard from behind with Honey Rider's knife. She asks him why he killed the guard, and Bond says because he had to. However, the guard had already passed their hiding spot and was unaware of their presence and could have easily they could have easily just stayed hidden under the water as they did when the first group passed with a dog. Bond literally killed that guy for fun, dude. Like, that changes <laughs> your perspective on Bond in this movie. I completely agree. There was no need to kill the man. But, you know... Uh, he, he did it anyway. They're then all hanging out, and yeah, it's just all this shit where they're just trekking through the jungle. It's completely like time-wasting shit. But we get a little bit about Honey Rider's backstory, where she's like, I've lived just about anywhere where there are shells, because like, <laughs> she's just obsessed with shells. It's yeah. the only thing she wants. She can't get enough shells. Her dad's a marine biologist and was studying shells or whatever. She also mentioned earlier on that she was collecting shells, and, and the reason for it is that they sell for like $50 back in Miami, which at the time is like four hundred dollars essentially. That's so but like, much money. That's a Jamaican lot of shells. money for shells. Yeah. Yeah. So so she believes Doctor No killed her dad because of reasons that aren't clear. She also learned everything she knows from an encyclopedia. She started on A and now she's all the way through to T. She uh, is very like, smug for someone that hasn't gotten to. She hasn't finished the encyclopedia. Like she she's exactly. like I bet I know a whole whole more, lot more things than you and like. But, like, surely, like, Bond's probably like, yeah, but, like, do you know what a zoo is? Or a xylophone? Or, like, any of this basic shit? Like, you have no awareness of that? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) She also tells us that she once murdered a man with a spider. And at this point, I'm like, man, this character is fucking weird, but also very cool. And uh, I think she deserves an MVP now. They come across a uh, a dragon, essentially, or as Bond puts it, a diesel-powered dragon. Because (laughs) this dragon that we've heard so much about it at this point in the film yeah. isn't, isn't so much a, a native superstition as uh, Felix Leiter so troublingly puts it but is instead just a, fu- a flamethrowing like tank which has like a scary face painted on it which to me like this is so bad man because it like sucks. The, guy, the guy drives boats for a living he lives in Kingston like he's seen cars like the idea that you could look yeah, at this he, and be like he's, he's seen Lightning McQueen like he knows what cars are you know what I mean like he's up to date <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that you could see this thing and be like, oh, it's a dragon, not... Oh, you know what that looks like? A fucking fucking automobile that shoots fire out of the front of it. <laughs> Bond's like, let's shoot the shit out of it, Quarrel. And he and Quarrel, like, hide in different spaces, and they both shoot at it as it approaches, and Quarrel gets fucking roasted Dude, by the it gets tank. done. Just absolutely burnt to death by its flamethrowing capability. Dude, gadget rating? S plus, dude. This oh, dude, is nice. amazing. Like, it's not Bond's gadget, but I'm just like, at this point, this is what I was talking about before. This is where the movie pivots into, like, wacky nonsense. But I'm honestly yeah. so glad for it, because it's been so boring for the last 20 minutes where they're just trekking around in Crab Key. And now some weird, wacky shit is happening. We've got a bunch of dudes in hazmat suits pouring out of a tank that shoots fire, which is an extremely cool prop. I just love all this wacky shit. It's, it's it's highly, highly remakeable. They apprehend Honey and Bond, and they just kind of like, there's a bit of a fight, but essentially they get dragged away. Some very uh, lackluster fighting. Yeah. They get put into a lab, and they essentially get like decontaminated, essentially, because there's like, they've been in contact with radioactive material. I think like yep. it's in it's in the water that they were splashing yeah. around in. The, the which implication it's, is it's, it's in Crab Key, I guess. 
Yeah, it's not really addressed though, but like, I'm not sure in terms of like, uh, you know, Geiger counters and shit, like, but like, they sort of come in and like, James Bond has a read of like 88, and I'm not sure at what point radiation like really starts fucking with you, but like, like, if if it's all radioactive and they've been like splashing around in it, like, can he not have kids now, or like, is there any consequence to that? Um, yeah. I mean, like, the biggest question is, 88 what? Is it Becquerels? Is it Mega Becquerels? What's the fucking... Is it Greys? Is it Sieverts? Or oh, maybe miles per hour. Who knows? Um, but basically, <laughs> they... Basically, uh, Honey and Bond are immediately stripped off and just put through uh, this decontamination sequence, which is just them, like, on a travel later, like, just getting, like, scrub... Like, just getting, like, blasted nice with water. Yeah. They're like, t- take all their clothes off, and Bond's like, do the girl first. <laughs> yeah, like, which is, we, like, okay, sure. They're like, we give the orders here, you fuck, and he's like, yeah, but somebody take my cuffs off, because he's cuffed. And he's like, you, come here. And he, like, gestures someone to take his cuffs off, and they just do it. I'm like, who's in charge here? Why are they listening to Bond? But yeah, they, they get hosed down, they do some stupid decontamination shit, they put in these robes, and now they walk into a very cool lobby. It's a really strange vibe here. They walk in, and all of a sudden it's like they've stepped onto this like five-star resort, and these people are like like taking care of every last element for them. They go up to yeah, their room, they're like, oh, there's all this dope bond. stuff, there's clothes for them, like they have their size laid shit. out, there's coffee, they're like, we've been expecting you. Like, at this point, okay, so they're in the villain's lair, right? And the villain's, like, set up a little hotel for them. I just gotta wonder, like, why go through all this rigmarole? Like, what is the, what is the utility of this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really fucking strange. Essentially, they're, they're told that Dr. No wants to meet them at dinner, and they're like, yeah, of course, it'll be a pleasure to go down, whatever, we'll go check it out. Um, they go in there, and as they sit down, and they're, like, they're sort of, like, talking quietly because they're aware that, like, the whole place might be bugged. They have a bit of coffee, and then Honey starts just, like, going, like, faint, essentially, passes out. And then James, who earlier in the film made a point of, like, sniffing what he was drinking, apparently just didn't in all the rigmarole of this, like, realises that there was something in the coffee, attempts to stay awake, and then just immediately passes out. I think, to be fair... He could understandably not have worried about it, because he'd be like, well, they're going to the effort of putting us up in a hotel room. What's the point of drugging any of the things? Like, if they wanted us dead, they'd just have us dead. Like, they would have just killed us when they apprehended us. What we later learn is Dr. No comes into the room, walks up to James Bond's bed all spooky-like, and, like, just stands there over him for a minute. And here's the crazy thing, and why it's so ridiculous. Like, because they wake up after this nap, essentially, and they're just kind of like, oh, dinner will be soon. So they've essentially just given them, like, a little fun nap, James Bond is, like, passed out. Dr. No comes in. We see these weird fucking hands. He grabs James Bond's blankets. Yeah. Just kind of, like, lifts them up and inspects. Like, is yeah. Dr. No checking on his dick? Like, because that's legitimately know, what it looks like. It's like he, it's like fucking that Steven Seagal movie where that, like, nurse, when he's in a coma, and, like, in Hard to Kill, the nurse, like, lifts up when he's in a coma, <laughs> like, his sheet, looks down at his dick and is like, huh. Pity, you've got so much to live for. Like, it literally was like that. (laughs) Somebody please explain it to me if it makes sense to you. Maybe the whole rest of the movie is meant to be like a coma dream that Bond has because he's actually still in a coma the entire time. Maybe the entire film franchise is a dream. Maybe maybe it's an Inception type thing. And then like in the next movie, dude, can you imagine if in the next movie he like wakes up and it's back in the middle of Doctor No and like whoever Bond is is playing Bond and he's like in Doctor No's lair? Like that would be... 
fucking dude, incredible. Dude, can you imagine if it's like Idris Elba or whatever? Yes. And he, and he just wakes up and he's like, whoa, I had a dream that I was a whole bunch of white guys for like 50 years. Like, that was crazy. And then it's just, ba-da, ba-da, credits. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, the, that's the end of the new first Idris Elba James Bond movie. That's very um, good, dude. Yeah, I, I'd be into it. And it just sets up like now they're going to redo all the movies, but Bond knows everything that's happening because he's lived it all before. Dude, like a... Was it fucking like to, like the Edge of Tomorrow or whatever? Yeah, or some the Edge, shit? edge like, of Tomorrow. Or, or, or Live, Die, Repeat, as I believe it was called in some cinematic releases. Fucking hell, dude. That would be incredible. <laughs> so that all being said, this concept of like, you know, oh, we take the superhero or the hero, we put him up in the nice hotel, we treat him well, we take him to a fancy champagne dinner. Like, that is so iconic Bond. Like, in the villain's lair, you're in the lap of luxury, so the villain can just monologue at you about, like, fucking his plans on world domination. And, like, to me, such an iconic Bond thing, so remakeable. But it is also, as you've said before, like, is he informing trying to imply this was a real thing? This is the pivot. Yeah. Like, this is yeah, the yeah, complete yeah, yeah, pivot yeah, yeah, yeah. into this just completely unreasonable thing. They're standing around being like, huh, that's a pretty cool fish tank. Hmm. And fucking, dude, I swear to God, oh, Dr. No walks in the room and he just goes... One million dollars. Like, ah, uh, a Dr. Evil thing, dude. Dude, this, From this whole Austin film. Powers? Yeah, this film, like, really, like, watching this and Austin Powers side by side is just, like, a real thrill. You know what I mean? Like, just, Which like, is funny, because, like, Dr. Evil is Blofeld. Like, he's he's meant to be Blofeld. But, like, yeah. they borrowed the one million dollars thing from here, I feel like. And I just yeah. didn't, I didn't know that before. Dr. No is awesome. I'm liking this Dr. No Man. He comes in, he's creepy as hell. He won't, like, he's, like, staring into the distance. He's got weird metallic hands. Uh, I don't know. He, he looks pretty cool. Is this character, is the actor very much white? Yeah, I mean, he's meant to be, like, half German, half Chinese, the character. Right, he, right, he, right, He right. says at dinner that he's, like, a, a son of, like, a Chinese worker and, like, a German diplomat or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Joseph Wiseman wore makeup in order to appear Chinese. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is like, because if you if you look at him, because I, I I sort of remember that going in that like that obviously this film had some issues in regards to that. But then like, if you watch this film, and like, I would even just like like tell you to, like have a look at like th- at th- this character now now that you know that. Jesus. Okay. Well, that sucks. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they're at the banquet dinner. He's telling him his life story uh, about how he used to work for the Chinese mafia, but he escaped with $10 million in gold, I guess, of which he spent $1 million on a fish tank. <laughs> because, like, Bond's like, oh, and that's how you paid for this whole operation. <laughs> I gotta say, dude, spending one-tenth of your net worth on a fish tank? That is some panache. MVP to Dr. No, the character, for knowing style. Bond is like, we don't need the lady here. And he's like, yeah, we don't. And they take Honey away. And Bond's like, no, don't take her away. And it's like, okay, well, fucking, what was your your point there? Dr. No proceeds to explain that he works for Spectre. Spectre, of course, being the, like, agency that's, like, the the arch villains of James Bond throughout the entire franchise. It's where, like, the famous, like, Blofeld character comes from. And, like, he works for Spectre. And his whole vibe is fucking up James Bond at every turn. Uh, and James Bond delivers a sick burn, which is, does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands? <laughs> which is pretty fucking sweet. So I guess, yeah, for, for whatever reason, they're using, like, nuclear radiation as a power source to power their technology that shoots down the missiles, which is why everything's radioactive, blah, blah, blah. And the reason that Dr. No has brought Bond here is that he thought he might make a good recruit for Spectre. 
He was like, I brought you, yeah, I thought you might be a Spectre boy. And Bond's like, no, my first revenge would be tracking down the person who killed Strangways and murdering them. He leaves, they beat the shit out of James Bond in a wholly unconvincing way, and that's the end of the scene. When they're exchanging these burns right towards the end of the conversation, Dr. No just turns to Bond and it's just kind of like, you are just a stupid policeman. <laughs> and then, like, they sort of, like, take him away, and I was like... Jesus, dude. So after being having the shit beaten out of him, Bond wakes up in a little cell with a, a giant air vent in it, which is like, why build a cell like, that, cell like that? Why not just use small air vents that people can't fit inside? But okay, a giant circular air vent. I suppose at least the grate on it is electrified, because Bond touches it and gets shocked, but he circumvents it so easily by just putting his shoes on his hand and punching it out so he doesn't get yeah, shot. Yeah, dude. Like, Con- conductivity? That's so good. We get this whole, like, honestly, just ultimately, altogether too long scene of Bond crawling around in some air vents. Fucking LVP to the architect who built this shit. Add some air vents and don't make them so large and also climbable. Like, he's well, put dude, in, like... But, but, like, dude, like, he needed the extra million dollars to do it, but, like, Dr. No had already spent it on the fish tank. Like, this yeah, whole thing could okay. have been avoided if Dr. No hadn't been like, I've got to spend one-tenth of my fortune on that fish tank. I'm sorry. <laughs> his, there's, there's, there's no hubris. way around this. He rolls around in the vents, very low on the style rating, if it even registers at all. Uh, he, he's just in there for so long, is the thing. Like, this scene is so slow. He's in a little room now, somewhere in Dr. No's complex. Some dude walks past, and Bond does a fucking stealth takedown of him. Puts on his hazmat suit, and now it's a very Star Wars vibe. Like when they're wearing the fucking Stormtrooper outfits. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bond wearing this hazmat suit walks into the lab where Dr. No is sitting at the control panel. Uh, and I guess, man, this lab looks pretty cool. I was thinking of it and I was trying to describe it. I was trying to like think like how I would best describe this lab. I was Imagine like, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, but instead for radiation. And I think that <laughs> sort of gets you sort of there. That's so much better than what I had, man. I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, like, is it really 60s sci-fi? Uh, and then I was like, nah, not quite. And then I, it, it struck me, like, it's just very Bond. Like, this just yeah, looks true. like the lab of a supervillain in a Bond movie. Yeah, like, that's and, that's, and that's all we have to go by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, that's the... the I, I like your description also. I think that's pretty <laughs> fucking accurate. Uh, so I, I guess they're trying to disrupt the launch of the, the Mercury Project, which was, like, the first manned spaceflight mission that the US did. Um, and they're, they're going to try and use their, like, radioactive-powered ray to knock over the rocket. Uh, Bond manages to make his way over to the switch that powers, like... I guess it's this weird, like, radioactive thing that sits in a pool of water. It's the reactor, essentially, which is, like, a... A strange vibe that, like, you have a reactor... Like, the way that the reactor works is very strange, but uh, that's the, the general yeah. gist of it. So, so Bond makes his way over to, like, a panel labelled Danger Level. <laughs> and there's, like, a wheel that he spins. Doc knows, like, alright, let's do it. Uh, fire the beam to disrupt the ship. And Bond starts cranking up this wheel that's marked Danger Level. And the Danger Level's getting higher and higher. And the pool's bubbling more and more and more. And he's trying to overload the fucking reactor. And, uh, I don't know, I guess all hell breaks loose at a certain point, because he's got the danger level high enough, people start running everywhere, there's a fucking 
big sign illuminates labeled abandoned area but then dr no goes over because he recognizes bond at the danger level switch and they have their final fight yeah and so you got dr no really taking advantage of these like cool fucking like metal hands he has and just kind of like going to town like knocking him around like big old boulders at the end of like arms and so dr no (laughs) could probably just try and like shut bond in but instead he needs to feel his skull like crushed between his metallic hands yeah um, his hubris is his downfall yet again yeah First the fish tank and now it's wanting to kill bond <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true ultimately we've given this final fight more discussion than it actually has screen time because it's incredibly anticlimactic and boring bond just like for starters they're both wearing hazmat suits and it's not clear who's who <laughs> and bond like uh. just pushes him into this big thing of radioactive water and we get this really terminator-esque shot where like he's sinking down into the water and it's just his hand out of the water like fucking the Arnie Terminator yeah when no dude I, I 100% saw that like Terminator 2 very much yeah. a vibe style rating what do you think dude on that final fight I was honestly not that wowed by it no dude I wasn't wowed by it at all because you're so used to in these Bond films like having that final awesome moment yeah instead, exactly instead as I said before we started recording like this film has third act problems because yeah. like it just gets to Dr. No and arguably the cool the coolest thing about Dr. No is when he has that spooky voice of Dent earlier on and then like yeah. the whole the whole hotel thing is kind of weird but like he's just super ineffectual as a character but so so what are we giving that for a style rating i, I had a b i can i honestly reckon i'd go a c dude because they, they could have done oh. more with the metallic hands or something like that or like yeah or even even him holding bond into the water and like about to get his head like say uh, like submerged or something like that instead it was just kind of like this weird rough and tumble and then bond got rid of him pretty easily that's true Oh my word, does he punch his way straight to Honey Rider? He's like, where's Honey Rider? And he just like punches a bunch of people and then he's in a room that has Honey Rider in it. And like, were they planning to just slowly drown her? Like, what was the deal here? Because she's like chained to like this sloping ramp that's descending into like a pool of water. And on the wall on the opposite side, there's like water coming in through a hole. Like, was the idea that like the tide was going to come in and just drown her? Like, that's pretty fucked up. But it's also really not made clear. And a really needlessly slow and artistic death. Like, what did she do to deserve (laughs) that? Like, what was the... What was the... Yeah, okay, whatever. Bond and Honey go down the dock. There's a bunch of people trying to get away because the plant's all smoking and it's going to blow up because Bond overloaded the reactor. They steal a boat and they sail away. And the fucking reactor blows up and there you go. Yeah, uh, the boat runs out of fuel um, and then rather than swimming, Bond proposes they instead just hang out and, like I guess, bone down. Felix and the Americans rock up. I believe what he exactly says is, well, we could swim. Or dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Uh, Bond asks for a tow, and they're, they're like, great, they start towing the boat. And then Bond, instead of like continuing away with that, drags Honey down with him. They start making out. And then Bond willfully oh. unties the rope, and like I guess... Like an absolute con- madman! But I guess condemns him and Honey to a watery grave. That made... Oh, that was just so fucking crazy, that he's just yeah. like, well, I guess we don't need the toe in anymore. I mean, I guess they didn't think there'd be a sequel. And they were like, and that's how he goes out. <laughs> (laughs) 
Well, if you've enjoyed listening to this uh, special episode of Still Interested, Shaken Not Stirred Part 1, and you want to hear more of us, you can go listen to our other episodes. We've done a bunch of other shit. You can check us out on Twitter at SICurioShow. And at Curio Network. Curio, of course, being the network that this podcast is a part of, or Curio Network on Facebook. If you want to talk to Jackson and I directly, you can get at us. I'm at, at MrBT McAllister on Twitter. And I'm at Jackson underscore Usid. The only things I tweet about are scientific articles of mine and also podcasts, so go check that out. Uh, yeah, we're, we're actually we're, we're getting into the, the AFL season, and so I'll probably be, I'll probably yeah, be occasionally tweeting about free tweets. Yeah, I'll be tweeting yeah. about North Melbourne, so if you're into that, check me out. Um, if you've got ideas for a franchise you want us to do, because we're going to be looking for something new now that we've, like, we're not going to do another James Bond episode straight away, we'll do a new franchise. Tweet at us, Facebook at us, email us. I think we're still interested at curionetwork.com. Uh, mm-hmm. or Ben at Curio Network or Jackson at CurioNetwork.com if you want to get it one of us directly because we're, we're going to be looking at a, a couple of different Bond films uh, for this uh, you know little mini uh, sub podcast I guess um, so if you have a particular Bond film that you want us to check out and like make sure it's on the yeah. list like get us up about that that sort of thing because we, we've, we've got a rough idea of like very key important ones to <laughs> us that we want to run through but like uh, there's fucking what, like nearly 25 of them right so like feel, feel free to, to jump in on that all right, Jacko. Let's wrap up some MVPs. Who have I got? I've got now. Now, Benjamin. Before we go any further, I want to propose something, which is radical, and I'm not saying we do this ever again. But I'm not okay. sure we should even have a discussion about MVP this time around because there's just there's only one logical option. Like, who else has played like every? female role every role of a particular gender in a film yeah, before wow that's bar true. two like as in like it would feel disrespectful to that level of value in this film because if you don't have her you don't have the movie you know what i yeah, mean you know what you know dude you're right i was gonna drop some bullshit on you about the people i nominated but i think you're right nikki van der zil deserves it dude Holy shit, dude. Holy shit. She did voices in other James Bond movies. She revoiced Eunice Gason in From Russia With Love. She revoiced Shirley Eaton and Naja Regan in Goldfinger. She revoiced Claudia Arga in Thunderball. She revoiced fucking people all the way through to Moonraker in 79 when she revoiced Corinne Clary and Leela Schenner and various other characters. She's the voice of James Bond. What the fuck? All right, Nikki Van MVP. No question. Now, LVPs. For me, I've got Mr. Jones, the guy who drove Bond around and got quickly smoked before cyanating himself. The entire team of uh, Lighter, Quarrel, and Pussfella for just doing a completely unnecessary trick on Bond. Uh, yeah. The driver of the hearse that fell off the cliff. And the <laughs> architect. The architect who designed Dr. No's lair. Those are my four. I think I'm I'm really with you on the architect and also for me Pussfella is just like it's really hard to go by because he's introduced as a character that can wrestle alligators and James Blond James Bond like flicks James him Blonde, off. the Frank James Blond It's actually a it's a it's a pale ale that uh, pure Blond are bringing out um, <laughs> but uh, he he's just thrown off so easily and like it's hard for a character to come back from that of being like this character's good at this nah not really though and then that's your entire contribution let's flip a coin shall we uh, what, right. what do you think heads it's the architect and tails it's puss fella 
All right, Jacker, this has been a psychological experiment. What do you want it to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Pussfella. Okay, Pussfella it is for LVP. There you go. Jacker, how do you feel about a little bit of trivia? I would love you to hook me, hook me up actually, some and just but, pump it but, into my veins. Before we get to trivia, actually, because trivia is Oh, God, good dude, what the hell, actually. man? I was, yeah, punk, I was to... primed and ready to go. Sorry to give you trivia blue balls, but uh, <laughs> I think we should address... <laughs> I think we should do a special rating for these movies rather than doing a remakeability rating because we know they're remakeable. They've made 23 of the fuckers or 23 sequels uh, or remakes. I think we should do a bondiness rating, specifically rating how bondy these movies are. And I think like, it's not which ones are best. It's not which ones are like most exciting. It's which ones are the most James Bond. Yeah, I I think it's probably worth quickly discussing like just quickly putting it out there in terms of what we're talking about there for me like peak james bond uh and i don't think this is necessarily the best james bond at all but i think like pierce brosnan probably Gold around Knight. like golden eye sort of thing Gold like Knight. i think that's that's like peak james bond you know what i mean like yes. that's what I, I, that character is i think that's very much an our generation thing but i also know golden eye is well regarded as like one of the best james bond movies like one of certainly, the, it, certainly. it frequently turns up in like top five lists of james bond movies and, and i think it's undeniably at least a very good james bond movie and for me i completely agree on the golden eye scale let me give you mine on a bondiness rating go on I think that this movie has a lot of the elements that make Bond Bond. I think it's decidedly lacking in that wacky fun element. Until like the third act of the movie, and then there's just not enough of it, and it's just not particularly well explored. Which is why I give this a middling 70 out of 88 on the radioactivity reading uh, as Bond enters Dr. No's lair, as a Bondiness rating. Yeah, I can. I'm going to put this like straight down the middle sort of thing like it has i think the best entrance of a james bond in the sense that it is the first oh, yeah. and like sean Con- that that first bond james bond every single one afterwards obviously is a callback but even in just trying to capture that like there's something so transcendent about that moment but then there are yeah, issues yeah. with the film and like you know like the racial stuff is particularly <laughs> particularly poor. Um, and so, for me, I think I would say two out of four seashells worth $50 in Miami in 1962. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. All right, should we get to some trivia? Please. Okay. Release me from this prison you put me into. All the sets and furniture were slightly smaller than they would be in reality, so that Bond would look larger. Dude, they were on that Lord of the Rings time before oh Peter Jackson. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> After viewing the film, James Bond creator Ian Fleming reportedly described it as being dreadful. <laughs> Simply dreadful. So I guess he wasn't into it. Okay, this was interesting. A Francisco de Goya painting of the Duke of Wellington, stolen in 1961, right before this movie, is found on the easel next to the stairs in Dr. No's dining area, which is why he stops and looks at the painting. Dude, that is amazing. They were calling to, like, 
real events. Oh my god. Sean Connery wore two hair pieces in the film. A dry toupee and a wet toupee. For when the water goes over his head in the tunnel, he started going bald when he was 17 and began wearing a hairpiece in films in 1958! James Bond sings Under the Mango Tree in this film and is notable for being the only time James Bond has ever sang in a Bond film. (laughs) (laughs) Mangosh, mangosh, under the mango tree. (laughs) Dude, imagine if they cast Hugh Jackman as the next Bond and they cast him like (laughs) off the strength of his performance in Logan and they don't realise that he's like an MT star. (laughs) And then like midway through the next Bond movie he has a whole song and dance number. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Or that Ian Fleming wanted his cousin Christopher Lee Carnewells to play the role of Dr. No. Lee would later appear as Francisco Scaramanga in the 1974 Bond film The Man with the Golden Gun and would play the character that inspired Fleming to create Dr. No, Dr. Fu Manchu, in several films. Fleming also asked Noel Coward to play the part of Dr. No. Coward turned down the part, replying with a telegram that read, Dr. No? No, no, no! One of Coward's objections was having to wear metal hands! Not the yellow face! The metal hands! The studio's Japanese affiliate originally translated the title as, We don't want doctors! is credited with kicking off the reggae-slash-ska music scene in Great Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Take it back. (laughs) Still Interested is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Ben McAllister and Jackson Usid. We are produced by me, Grace Chappell. Editing by Jackson Usid. Theme music is Anitra's Dance, composed by Edward Grieg. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Curio Network and at SI Curio Show. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show, so find us on Facebook or Twitter. If you like the show, think about giving us a rate and review on iTunes, or wherever you listen. It actually is really helpful. We've got other content on Curio, such as Odds and Ends, where I talk with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them. Or How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, where we play D&D. Seriously, it's a lot of fun. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. We'll see you in two weeks.